Hello and welcome to the Professional Horror Podcast, the only podcast that comes around once every 27 years, as well as several times in between. I am your host, Chris Donovan, and I am joined by not one guest, but two guests, my own little losers club, I guess you could call it, Justin Bocage and Ryan Spooner, both returning guests to the Professional Horror Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. And if we're the loser club, I mean, we're definitely just a couple nerds. Spooner, how you doing? I'm doing good, but I can't possibly follow all those two introductions. <laughs> Stroke the fingers, that's all. That's all you, you gotta do. I mean, you can't see that on the podcast, but <laughs> fork it, man. Alright, so this is a first on the Professional Art Podcast. We're going to talk about a movie that's still in the theaters. I'm sure, based on the box office numbers, you guys have all seen It. If you haven't, we're going to have a non-spoiler section and then a spoiler section, just what's, for you guys. It? Oh, it? it's it's based on a Stephen King book, believe it or not. That movie, it's got like a clown in it or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a couple scary things. Yeah. A couple scary things. So yeah, we've all seen it. In the past month and a half or so, I've read the book, I've watched the miniseries, and seen the movie twice. So you might call me pretty penny-wise on this subject. But in, so we have both seen, we have all three of us have seen it, and you guys have already been on the show, so we don't have to do First Blood, which is a great time saver. So let's start off with initial thoughts. What did you guys think of it? Well, personally, I heard a lot about this movie going in. Mm-hmm. I personally haven't read the book, but I've always been a big fan of Stephen King and his work, especially Dreamcatcher, Pet Cemetery. Those are some of the uh, films that I really enjoyed. I always thought they kind of randomly ended with random pop or a random villain that doesn't really make mm-hmm. a lot of sense. But I thought this was so well done. It actually set like an eerie feeling. It wasn't mm. like throw around the ketchup or the blood gore kind of scary that typical horror films are nowadays. This was just eerie at its finest. Mm. I thought... Showing the villain, Pennywise, in the opening scene was like a really good job. Yeah. Because so many times you sit there and anticipate when's the clown coming out or when's Mm -hmm. the villain coming out. It kind of builds up to it and sometimes that can lead to like false hope and falling of expectations. But I actually really enjoyed how this movie was done. I thought start to finish, I thought it had a good mix of a little bit of comedy, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. The the kids were pretty funny. A little bit of like eeriness to it and kind of like gets the goosebumps Mm -hmm. every time. Every time. You know, I just thought that there was a lot of good in this. It was just a collaboration of like different emotions and feelings. It was just a very good mix of everything Mm -hmm. and I thought it was very well done screenplay wise and character development wise. I would give this movie, I mean, it's tough to give it 10 out of 10. I would give it out of 10. Nice. Spooner, what do you think? Well, I think JB covered most of it. The one thing I will touch on a little bit more, you talked about the character development. I'm going to talk a little bit about that and the story development. I liked that you occasionally got goosebumps, but I never felt like you dove too much. I feel like you didn't you didn't get lost jumping from story to story mm-hmm. from scene to scene, especially at the beginning when you're being introduced to all mm-hmm. the kids, the uh, main character. So I did enjoy that. A lot of times I feel like when people do certain movies to that extent, mm-hmm. when they're jumping from story to story, transitions mm-hmm. are very smooth you sometimes get lost and you forget certain things where this movie i thought everything was seamlessly done you know for example you saw beverly you saw beverly's hair mm-hmm. when she was cutting it yeah. and they went right into the picture that mm. bill had billy had drawn of her smooth transition to understand why that you know something else justin touched upon with a little bit of everything there it's a it was a very relatable story mm. it wasn't those classic horror movies where you're watching people run exactly the opposite way in reality they should <laughs> mm-hmm. it, you know this was very realistic i thought it was something that was very easily relatable to a lot of people and that was something that i enjoyed to it i thought it was very different because i like a lot of classic horror movies mm-hmm. where you get your jump scares you get your blood and gore and i enjoyed just how very different this was well and that's actually a very good point to, to add to that i felt that the situations that the kids 
kids were in, like when they go into the abandoned house and even like when they're in the sewers, it was very natural. Mm. You know, like it was almost like that's exactly what one of us would do in that situation. It wasn't the classic, we're getting chased by the villain. Let's run towards that mine factory or something or like that shed full of knives. Yeah. Like, let's walk, run towards that. We'll be safe there. Every scary movie kind of seems like it has that. I thought that this was like just very natural and, and the kids actually had like legit fear. I just thought that everything with the characters and Pennywise individually mm. was very well done. I thought it was something that could have potentially gotten lost in the movie because there's so many characters. There's such a big movie and you want to scare everyone, but I thought attention to detail, every single character and their relationship with the clown. One lost a brother. One had problems at home and was kind of haunted by that. Another character lost uh, Rich, I believe, just had fear of clown. They touch upon that. It was just very well done each problem and each representation of the fear that everyone had of this idea of Pennywise was brought up in the film. I thought mm. that was unique for them to just kind of have like a realistic reaction to every single scenario. It was mm. it was definitely cool to watch. Yeah, I definitely uh, really enjoyed it. Like you pointed out, it's about the bad decisions and stuff like that. I read somewhere when it's dealing with writing, because horror movie characters are going to make bad decisions, but the point is to have them make bad decisions for the right reasons for their mm -hmm. characters not i hear a noise oh is anyone there but like have some motivational force that's part of their character as to why they're doing it so when a character goes into a haunted house it's not because oh let's check it out it's for a distinct purpose that backs up their character and also a big thing in horror movies and just movies in general it's so hard to get an ensemble movie right the more characters you have the harder it is to pay them their due deference or whatever it's hard to get them right yeah. it's like you have seven cups of water and you got to pour a little bit into it. You only have so much water. And by the time you, like if you fill up a, a couple of them, sometimes some of the water's evaporated already. And now this character's lost in the shuffle. You got to keep pouring limited water into multiple cups. And also when you're trying to do all of that while trying to honor a book that might, some people might have called unadaptable because of just how massive it is and how much mm -hmm. stuff is in that book. It seems almost impossible, but I really thought they nailed a lot of it. They weren't slaves to the source material that was very different from the book. A lot of the choices they made from the book were great. And a lot of choices they made away from the book are great. They nailed it on so many different levels that I was just kind of shocked mm -hmm. at how well it was. Which is a rarity too, yeah. that, that leaving things out from a book is usually a good decision because mm -hmm. a lot of people say, oh, if you miss out on certain details in the book, then the movie just doesn't do it justice. Mm -hmm. I remember when we were talking about the movie afterwards and you said, oh, there was a couple you know, grotesque scenes in the book they left out in the movie and mm -hmm. it just made the movie flow better. Yeah. And, you know, it just made more sense. So it's interesting that you say that. Yeah, it's, the book is very, very different from the movie and it just also in time span because in the book, their kids in 57 and 58 and they're grown grown-ups in 85, 85. 84 and 85 and so the, in the book that's when they were adults and they were starting as when they're kids it's such a much different change especially because a lot of the things that Pennywise turns into because of they turn into their fears they're also very different because they're 80s kids they have different fears than 50s kids yeah the era will bring the up. era is different it's just the whole makeup of the film feels just a little bit different but it feels right all the characters for the most part feel exactly like they were in the book except for maybe one or two exceptions 
emotions. The essence is all there. It's wrapped up really nicely in this new thing. And when you do something that's that new, you don't look at the book and be like, but you didn't do this. Like I try not to be a book purist when it comes to adaptations because I know it's impossible to get the entire book on screen. It's just illogical because a 400 page book, if you do every single thing, will probably be like 10 hours. And that's just not feasible. For what they had and what they were going for, I thought it was as good as probably it could be. I really, really enjoyed it. One of the things that I really enjoyed, and it, it was different, going into a horror movie, you, all you want to know is the questions about the villain or, you know, the monster and about Pennywise. A typical horror movie, mm-hmm. it's almost like they kind of figure it out as they go along. Mm-hmm. But it's such a mystery the whole time because every time Pennywise shows up, he just says someone's fear or, you know, says mm-hmm. oh, beep beep or, you know, time to go home or, or do you miss George? like anything like that he doesn't really reveal anything about himself and how he came to be so it's kind of like adds that whole mystery to it i think it ultimately makes him scary it makes him more of a uh, an actual fear like going home at, you know mm. at night you're probably checking under your beds or your sewers or whatever yeah. <laughs> i do want to briefly touch on that you're absolutely right justin i know going back to this you know mm. like I, I think traditionally the character development in that villain is usually one that we focus on the most you look at michael myers we knew his entire backstory before mm-hmm. we even got introduced to you know what he was doing yeah, uh, you know, you, you look at Freddy Krueger, we had the entire backstory for mm-hmm. him. Jason, and you're, 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 and you're absolutely right. I think the biggest fear is the is what you don't know. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's it. You're absolutely correct on that. The other thing I wanted to touch on, I think, Justin, you briefly touched on this when you talked about the movie being funny. Another thing that I thought was very, very crafty in the way they did it was the comedic relief. Mm. They absolutely nailed the comedic relief in this movie. For example, Richie is that character. Oh, Richie's great. Yeah, he's he's great. But tell me that any of us wouldn't look at him in those scenes and go, shut up, Richie. (laughs) Stop talking, Richie. Do what you always do. Start talking. Like, Yeah. yeah. And even like when he started making the jokes, what's the deal? Can only virgins see this thing? I started laughing, and I'm like, that's literally something like one of my, like one of us or one of our buddies would say. Like, oh yeah. That it's literally such a natural response, yeah. and it adds to like the realness of it because I always thought that like scary movies when you're like petrified the whole time, mm-hmm. it's, even in like dull moments, it's not realistic. Yeah. You know? It gets you can get kind of numb if it's just constant scares Scare, being thrown scared. at you. And the movie's rated R, which unlike the miniseries, which is you know made for TV, that's played a little bit safer what I like about the R rating is not only do we get to a level deeper with Pennywise and all of his horrible stuff but also this might be a weird point you get to have the teenagers like the little kids sound like little kids we swear a lot in our everyday life yeah. but we probably swore even more when we were kids we weren't quote supposed to swear yeah. so these kids hurling out F-bombs it felt real these characters felt like yes these are 13 14 year old kids easily alright we're gonna get into spoiler territory a little bit here from then on so just real quick would you guys recommend if people haven't seen it to go watch it yes absolutely I would as well. Go watch it. It's still in theaters. Go, go, go and support when part two comes out because we need more big budget studio horror movies. And this movie being a success, I think, is just what horror needs right now. So with that out of the way, we're going to start digging into some spoilerish territory. So if you haven't seen it, go away, please. (laughs) Come back once you've seen it and we're going to talk about it because when I got out, I want to talk about it. And I think you guys are going to want to too and hear what we have to say. So bam, spoiler time is now. 
I like Ben. He's an interesting character because he's an outside perspective. They always say this in psychology. You don't know how messed up something is until someone's on the outside looking in at it. Mm -hmm. Like if you're usually in the mess or in the commotion, you just consider it normal because it's you know, yeah, everyday, it's everyday practice. Day. So him coming in and doing the research on the town and figuring out that every 27 years there's all these kids disappear and then mm -hmm. it's a massive boom, a major killing or a major uh, tragedy. I think that's interesting. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the whole thing with Beverly, he obviously has a thing for Bev. Mm -hmm. You know, Bev comes out, welcomes him and makes him feel like part of the town. She's the first person to talk to him in mm -hmm. a positive way. It's almost like you see hints of it. You see the postcard and you see, you know, him, oh, your hair looks beautiful and all this stuff. And he ends up kissing her at the end, saving her. And I almost feel like there's not enough touched upon that yeah. because Bev's talking to Billy at the same time. Mm -hmm. And not that the story needed more plot twists or anything, but yeah. I just thought that was like a part of the story that really wasn't touched on a lot. One thing I want to touch on is how different Mike is. All the different characters I thought were really good with exception of maybe Stan, who I thought was the least developed. Even like when he's there, he's just kind of standing perfectly still, just kind of being there. But I think it was so interesting is Mike in the book, he's that outsider character, Ben. He's the one who is kind of like the curator of Derry's history. And I thought it was so weird that they took one thing that was so definingly Mike and made it Ben and gave Mike all the stuff that's not in the book. Like his parents are alive in the book. He has a very nice home life in the book. He doesn't work at a butcher in the book. He's just... He's just the guy that notices everything. Yeah, he's one who really kind of so, notices some so stuff. So Ben? He's still like a new kid, but he's more known than Mike. One good thing about the time jump, it's 1956 in the book in 57 and 58 and Mike's a black character. I was actually going to ask if that was the same way. Yeah. One thing that's not touched upon I don't think as much as in the book and probably well done is Henry Bowers' hatred of Mike in the book. There's a lot more overt racism directed oh. at him. Henry literally kills Mike's dog in the book. Oh, like geez. poisons the dog. It's really awful and terrible. It was a good change but I also don't know why given what I know about the rest of the book and what happens when they're adults I'm curious why they took the historian part away from mine. I'll just go ahead and ask, do you think the current state of affairs of where we are that now was my question. is the driving force behind that? I think it makes perfect sense for A, why they did the time jump, mm -hmm. and B, if they're going to do a time jump, they might as well switch the character. So my issue with that is I feel like you kind of went halfway here. I don't mind if you do the time jump, mm -hmm. but keep it to the book. And I don't mind necessarily if you want to change it, but keep it with the time frame. Mm -hmm. well, and but that's why I think they would do it that that's... way. I don't know. But I feel mm -hmm. like perhaps that would be the reason for That's both. Because yeah. yeah. what's interesting too in the book, what Ben's main thing is, is he knows a lot about architecture. When they're in the Barrens, when they first meet him in the book, I think it's Richie and Bill are trying to do, are trying to make a dam in the Barrens, you know, that lake that they're oh, in. The, yeah. They're trying to build a dam and they have no idea what's happening. And Ben comes along, you know, the same kind of thing where he's kind of ushered there by the bullies after that, you know, carving his name thing. And then he's just kind of like, oh, I know how to make a dam. We need some wood boards, sand, yada, yada, yada. And that comes back later on when he's an adult when that architecture plays a bigger part and that whole part that was his character is basically gone so that's what i'm saying when there's a lot different where it makes me curious is the sequel part two, chapter two when they eventually make that are they going to swap ben and mike's roles when they're adults because if they start doing that i feel like that part is going to feel even more different than this did to the book i feel like the, with the way you did this week mm -hmm. i think because despite the changes i still think they did an overwhelming good job I think. Mm, but i definitely. think you have to i think you have to write this out now the way that you 
get it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's completely unfair and unjust to all of a sudden do a 180. Yeah, but what is yeah. weird, too, is I've heard some I've heard some preliminary things about what the second one's going to look like. And one of the things I have heard is that not only is Mike the one who sticks around in Derry, but they're going to go even further with that. Because in the book, well, if you haven't read the book, it's been out for 30 years, please read the book, it's great. They all leave Derry at one point, and they all thrive as a result. So they all become successful, and they all get lots of money in. But Mike sticks around, and he works the library. He has like a podunk kind of house, whatever. And they want to go even further than that, and kind of, I heard they might make him a junkie. They all left and thrived. He stayed and got worse. He stayed a loser, so to speak, and the rest of the losers club, by leaving, became winners. So they might go even further with that. Which would, I think, make more sense with time jump. I feel like if you're going to start in the 80s and you're going to bring it to more modern, to where you're kind of on par with the... Yeah, 27 years from like 88, 89, it's going to be like 2015, 2016-ish. Yeah, so so you're going to be right on cue Mm. here. I think that's more reasonable. I think back in the day, it would have been a lot easier for all of them to go ride. But I think you do always have that one in the group. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if it wasn't for like the town being, you know, cursed or haunted, Mm -hmm. I would say that back in the day, like if they did the time jump where they go into the 80s, a lot of people during that time could stay and thrive as well, like in their own area. You know, you see it nowadays. A lot of people, you know, have to go and reach out Mm -hmm. to really find success and find what they're looking for. Make something of themselves. But I also, I think in the book has to do a lot with the town itself. Because the town... because they have a few things in the movie where they're really hinting at it's not just Pennywise and Derry. It's not just that. It's also other things. Like that scene where Henry's carving his name into Ben and the car just drives by, looks at them, and just keeps going like under the bridge. It's like it's like no one cares. Which, by the way, I do love the recurring t- the kids' TV show in the background of the movie. Yeah. I love that. Every time there's a TV going, like even at the very beginning when like Bev comes home and sees her dad for like the first time, you hear in the TV like, go down in the sewers. That's a fun place to play bring all your friends it's yeah. like it's so intertwined and I, think, and I think the well was mentioned at one yeah. point also go down to the well yeah, yeah. Go to it's the well. so intertwined in the city itself uh, to follow up on your the car driving by mm-hmm. like no one really caring yeah it brings up my point about when I was talking to you before about Billy's parents yeah and about how obviously right in the beginning Georgie died Billy won't accept it then his father gets mad at him for you know taking all his work equipment mm-hmm. and then that trying to find where Georgie would be in the sewers what's interesting thing to me is that Billy has all these visions in the house Mm -hmm. of George you know goes into his room and goes down to the basement has all these nightmares and visions and you never see the caring of the parents at all I think that's so strange I think each one of Bill's parents have one scene the mom just when she's playing piano at the beginning and Bill's dad when he's just like next time you take my stuff ask and the only other adult interaction besides the sheriff Mm. is the librarian really and Bevler's dad yeah Yeah, Bevler's her dad and Eddie's mom they both get multiple scenes but Bill's parents don't and what I find interesting with parent interaction just the whole dynamic is we're talking about the time change Mm -hmm. I feel like the dynamic with parents was 1950 I feel like in the 80s people had a little more freedom Mm -hmm. where they could roam with their friends to do stuff yeah Yeah. I felt like the book even with some of the cards I kind of find myself now that we're bringing that up I feel like it was all set in 1950s but we were led to believe that it was the 80s because new kids on the block there was one very specific 1950s car shown in the movie that I of course noticed 1958 Plymouth Fury aka Christine from the movie and book Christine gorgeous car I want it it almost seems like that nonchalant mm-hmm. like oh go ahead go do whatever you're gonna do and we don't really care like mm-hmm. there's never they show missing posters mm-hmm. but they don't really take like initiative yeah. or like the parents don't really get involved or 
or mm-hmm. even like an adult supervisor yeah. doesn't really get involved. And I'm anxious to see part two because, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like they're much older now mm-hmm. and it's still affecting so yeah. at probably at different levels. Yeah, there's um, a lot in the second one that I'm, I'm not worried, but I do have concerns about how they're going to do it. The kids in the book, there's so much to do in a movie. The movie left out some big things that the, in the, from the kids' perspective that the adults don't really have. The adults don't really have a lot of really good meaty scenes. There's a lot of flashback setting up in the adults' chapters where it's like, oh, Mike called me and he mentioned something. Oh, that reminds me of 27 years. I just got a memory flash of 27 years ago when this happened. There's a lot of that. I am kind of concerned about how they're going to make the adult feel as good as the kids. Because the kids are the best part in the book. Yeah, they're the best part in the miniseries and they might be the best part of the movie, but I hope that the adults are at least close. I hope they close that gap because that will make the eventual director's cut where they cut, they splice both movies together enjoyable as opposed to skipping scenes to get back to the kids, which I hope doesn't happen. You know what's interesting when you bring up the focus of being the kids, which it should be because, mm-hmm. you know, that's who's being haunted, but it's interesting. I can't get by like the whole parent thing because it almost seems like, all right, a situation like this, we need some supervision. Yeah. And there's just none of it. Besides Billy's parents, because like you said, we don't really see them. But even like Henry Bauer's dad belittles him in front of his friends. Like, yeah. you're like, oh, he's not so tough now. Look at him. The scene with the gun. But then you have Eddie's mom, who's like very overprotective for his health and, you know, trying to make him into this false reality that he needs these to mm-hmm. calm down. Then you have Bev's dad, who's sexually and physically abusing her. It's weird that you have that like disconnect. There's almost like monsters at home and, and like they can't escape it. Even the line that I thought was the best line in the movie, honestly, was when Billy was in front of the abandoned house and he goes, I'm more afraid to walk into my own house than this one. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was like, that was awesome. Yeah. Like, I was like, that was really cool. Not only do I think that was the best line because you felt the energy and passion behind mm-hmm. that, yeah. but I think it's because every single person at that moment, every single kid, the characters, they all knew that was true for them. Yeah. I think it's the fact that we're talking about relatability and how mm-hmm. it resonates with everyone. I think that is what further drove that one particular scene. Mm-hmm. And I that think, was, you, I that think was great. you absolutely nailed that because yeah. I think each and every one of them had it. For example, you were talking about Mike. We don't know what happened to Mike's parents. And Mike's yeah. parents burned alive. Those uh, are the hands you saw. touch yeah. on that. I'm sorry. You're yeah. right. But... That's true for him. Yeah. And Apparently even, it's her dad. You know, with Stan, it's his dad constantly coming on him for his yeah. it's for, you know, yeah. his religion. So I think that's what further drove that point. And like you said, like when they hear that, when they hear him say that, they almost all realize like, oh, we all have, you know, demons and we mm-hmm. all have monsters. Like, what's this? We're either going to go home and like tormented by like our home life or our situation, or we're going to be scared by some monster in white paint. It's almost like Stephen King wants to take away the safety blanket of a parent. And what I think also makes that scene so good is normally when you have movies like this, it's hard to find good child actors. And the kids in this movie are all, like, almost across the board phenomenal. The kid who plays Bill, he nails that scene. They actually were all very... They were all really good. Very, very good. You almost get a sense of helplessness from mm-hmm. like all these child actors. It's so realistic. The only one who seems to be calm and collected until he's in the room with the clowns is, is Rich. Jokes. Yeah, because he's but. hilarious. He's he was my favorite character probably, and he's also the best character in the miniseries. He's played by Seth Green in the miniseries as a little kid, Jeez. which is perfect. It's perfect. He's hilarious. The other thing that I wanted to touch upon character development. It's interesting that Bev has that that tag of being poor or slut mm-hmm. and being with a lot of guys, and you saw Henry Bauer 
was making a, a joke about it, like, oh, mm-hmm. this is how much I gave her, whatever yeah. he said. You just gotta ask nicely. Oh, you just gotta That's ask nicely. Right. That's what it was. It's interesting that they gave her that reputation. The fact that they mixed it with her being with a group of guys and having that home life situation. That was all, like, very well done. Mm. It's now, also not in the book at all, which just makes it a really great addition. There's no, like, slut shaming, I don't think, in the book towards her from the other kids. Sometimes when you have a traumatic experience like that, mm-hmm. those people tend to shy away from it. And they try to. They tend to try to shy yeah. away from any kind of personal, you know, yeah. interaction relationship with mm-hmm. the opposite sex. So I think that was another part that made this even more interesting. Was that she felt comfortable with them? I think it's because in that era, especially with Henry Bowers, his crew, like, were kind of like the typical popular bullies or jocks yeah. that, like, all they cared about was like sex, drugs, and rock and roll of like yeah. of that era. This group was like not like that at all. Like one kid's at the library, the mm-hmm. other kid. Obviously, Billy was mourning the lost brother, but like he was, you know, involved in other things. Like rich, you know, you you see them all like on their bikes or like, mm-hmm. oh, we're thinking about going to the watering hole, like all normal kid stuff. So maybe she didn't feel threatened being yeah. in that environment. You're right. Like they usually shy away from that when they're in an experience, mm-hmm. experience like that. Also, jumping off that and kind of connecting two points we had from earlier, where you were saying it, it almost felt like a 50s movie we were led to believe in the 80s. And with the quarry, in the 50s, that makes more sense to go down to the quarry just because, you know, hey, we don't have anything. But what I love is they make that like a direct choice. They really go full out with that, where Richie's like, oh, I want to go to the arcade to play Street Fighter, which is a very 80s thing to do. <laughs> And they keep saying, it's summer, we're supposed to be having fun. And it's not so much, hey, let's go to the quarry, that's what we're supposed to do. It's like Bill saying, no, we're doing this, we have to do something. We're going to go down and find what's killing people. Yeah, and I think Billy is the only one that really early on recognizes that he's the only one that notices that things are going on mm-hmm. and then ben kind of catches on mm-hmm. then bev and then as we touched upon earlier with that line mm-hmm. i think then everyone is like all right we're all yeah. in. let's get things started this movie it nailed the characters so well it would have almost worked as not even a horror movie because i feel like it wasn't particularly scary for me because i've become kind of numb to jump scares and this mm-hmm. movie is very jump scare heavy but i felt like it just nailed like a coming of age style movie like goonies or stand by me and other Stephen King story something like that it just really nailed that tone and it works almost perfectly as a coming of age movie and I don't want to say less a horror movie because there's a lot of creepiness a lot of tension there's a lot of jump scares but it's not particularly scary for me I really enjoyed it anyway I, I felt like I agree with that there was only one part that really got me mm-hmm. there was a lot of like you know scenes like when Stan is practicing and then he sees the woman come out of the painting like there were scenes like that where you don't expect it you know when Pennywise when they first go into the house like there were a couple of jump scares there but i thought the creepiest thing was the projector yeah the projector is crazy i thought that was so creepy i was watching it and then it comes out of it and it's like all in a panic it's the first time they're all together and Mm -hmm. see it i thought that was kind of the creepiest scene Mm -hmm. because one thing i think about pennywise in general one thing that's different from the book different from the miniseries for pennywise himself one of my two main critiques of this movie is pennywise never to me felt like he was trying to be anything other than absolutely horrifying in the book 
And in the miniseries, the clown is sort of like, it's like an entry point. It's like, oh, I see a clown. Oh, that's, you know, hey, it's a clown. Which maybe that has something to do with it being in the 50s. Clowns were bigger. Bozo the Clown was on TV and he was, you know, the biggest thing. It was a quote-unquote simpler time where a clown is is a symbol of joy and happiness. So you see a clown, oh, I want to go see the clown. And then once you're in there, bam, the clown could do something more terrifying. Well, Whereas in the 80s, it's a little bit more of a jaded time. Yeah. Killer Clowns from Outer Space started to come out the best clown movie of all time <laughs> so people are already like a little bit more hesitant around clowns but at the same time I felt like he was at 11 for most of the movie but I think you saw that at the opening scene with Georgie which I think kind of does gives you that full circle perspective when he talks mm. about the circus or yeah. the carnival I forget which one yeah. But yeah. And then, you know, you get to the popcorn. And when that, you get yeah. to that... Pop, yeah, I think that was the and you only sense scene, though. The, cha- the turn and the mm-hmm. change in Pennywise just in his face, mm-hmm. in his, you know, demeanor. Yeah. yeah, that's the one scene where he's like, oh, because they pop. You know, that's the one scene where I was like, oh, okay, he's trying to lure him in. But then mm-hmm. he instantly drops it and goes creepy face. I would have liked it if he had kept that going until Georgie reaches out for his boat and then you see that drop. Because Georgie, when he sees the clown and he's being really creepy in the sewer, which... He should already run away if the clown's in a sewer <laughs> offering you balloons and cotton candy and boats. You should already be running away. But he's a kid. He's he's stupid. I'll let it slide. But once he's being super creepy, he should be leaving. Yeah, the popcorn thing, he's funny. He dropped his guard a little bit. But then you could see Georgie instantly raise it back up when the clown goes full creepy again. Take it. Bill's gonna kill you. And he's like hesitantly going out. I'd rather him be like, oh, cool. And then he's got yeah, God. Yeah, I would have thought that you would have seen more of that kind of trickery. That like playfulness, sort that of. playfulness, yeah. Because every other time that they see Pennywise, it's almost like a personal threat, mm-hmm. which is weird. The beep beep. Yeah. Or the, oh, don't you miss Georgie? Like, yeah. it's nothing like, hey, I got some popcorn. Or like... But could that be a sign of the underlying development of 27 years of Pennywise? Because, well, actually, we don't know what timeline is, do we, between Georgie's death and when we start it's, picking up... Georgie it's dies a- October 88, and this happens summer 89. Yeah, so you've got, like, some, so maybe, like, you know, they talk about serial killers and whatever else. Yeah. Pulling their crap. Yeah, Maybe over the time, because we also don't know all the people that Pennywise got, but suddenly, it's not just Georgie down there in the yeah. sewer when we get to, you know, find oh, yeah. everybody. So over time, I'm sure, with anything else, he probably... Developed. Yeah, I we feel like we just didn't cover that. Yeah, like I said, I feel like it's more of a product of the times of it's the 80s and the slightly more jaded time where you don't see a clown and instantly think, hey, it's a clown, yay, as opposed to the 50s. But at the same time, I would have liked at least one or two more moments of that kind of playfulness. Yeah, to touch upon what you said too about using the clown like in that timeline of mm-hmm. being like a scary character, I know there was a lot of theories like back in the day that clowns were very depressed characters, that they suffered from depression. That's why they painted a smile on themselves because they could not, never actually do one themselves. Mm. So it's it's interesting that you take like a almost like a depressed character mm-hmm. symbolizes like sadness mm. and you know and kind of despair rather than taking just you know like Pennywise could have been like dinosaur you know he could have been anything. Yeah, there's actually and, a famous clown from like the 20s and the 30s where it was na- he was named Grimaldi. That was his actual name. I mean, he had like a really rough personal life. Like his members of his family had died. He was in intense physical pain because of all the stunts. Yeah. And he used to joke, he'd be like, I'm grim all day. 
but I make you laugh at night kind of thing. Oh, where he, it was like they were aware of it, but he you know, turned it into a joke sort of thing. Shout out to Boys and Ghouls, their episode on clowns. I listened to that today, and there was a lot <laughs> there was a lot that I'm getting from that. If you want some origins of clowns, very interesting stuff. They always do top-notch research, and I love their show. Now, I have, I have one question about the movie itself, because mm-hmm. I didn't really understand why. I touched on it a little bit. But at the end, when they go into the sewer, you know, fighting Pennywise, but before that happened, you had Ben kiss Bev and kind of put her back into reality, and you had all the bodies, and I get, like, you'll float too. I get that's what it's from, but is that just, like, like, I, I know it's a collection, but, like, if they're dead, like, why doesn't Pennywise just eat the whole human? I, I like, think a... in the book, it's he's been around for a very, very, very long time. He kills for, like, a, a section, like, maybe, like, a year or so, and go and hibernate for 27 years. So I think it's kind of similar to how, like, a bear might hibernate, where he, like, stocks up food and uh, stuff. Okay. So he's like, alright, I'm gonna be knocked out for the next 27 years, let me get kids for the road kind of thing. Uh, see, see, I thought, like... That's what I thought, at least. Yeah, the, like, them floating mm-hmm. was, like, a source of his power or something. Yeah. I didn't know if that was the case, because when they all come down at the end, mm-hmm. I know he went into hiding because yeah. he was, you know, injured or, you know, he was yeah. weak. Because when they started floating down, I was like, please tell me they all yeah. come back to life. There's a couple things I want to get to before the very, very end. They didn't even use this in the miniseries at all, but the house on Nebolt Street, mm-hmm. I loved almost everything there. The house itself looks so creepy. It looked, yeah. it looked like a haunted house, which apparently it is a haunted house. Apparently that house is not like a lot of sets. That house exists. The missing sign that Richie finds, the clown room that was, was, cool. Richie, was Richie. crazy. The one thing about that that I was questioning is, I told you about this on the drive home mm-hmm. after the movie, is when Pennywise says, beep, beep, Richie. In the book, that makes total sense because the kids, whenever Richie, because they call him trash mouth, whenever Richie is, you know, saying a bunch of stuff and swearing, mm-hmm. they'll just go, beep, beep, Richie, you know, to be like, shut up kind of thing. But that never happens in the movie, so it feels weird in that context. Where'd that come from out of Pennywise? Yeah. Whereas in the book, that makes total sense why he would be like, oh, he knows what we say to me all the time. Oh, he knows what we're, what we're doing. But this, that scene with all the clowns, the scary, very scary, not scary at all doors, all, all of that was great. That whole scene is just absolutely beautiful, I think, from start to finish. It was really fun. That leads to one thing that I'm not a fan of, though, which never happens in the book, is the one scene where they all break up and go their separate ways that seemed so so rushed i felt like and it almost seemed like just because it had to follow a movie plot line yeah it was they had to put that yeah like hurting pennywise was the false climax and them splitting up is the low point of the movie. That just felt like that's the natural flow of things. It almost reminded me of like a romantic comedy mm-hmm. where like, oh, she he might have cheated on her, but he really didn't. So they're gonna break up for ten minutes. Yeah, that's and then that's the low point of the movie. Together. Yeah, two thirds like, way through the movie, you have to go to the lowest point you could possibly get to. That's just how movies work. Because I thought it was completely pointless to do that because literally, like, none of the characters really accomplished anything. Yeah. The least developed character, Stan. Yeah, he gets his bar mitzvah. Gets his bar mitzvah, which, okay, that's cool. And then the rest of them are just enjoying summer. I guess it's supposed to be the, you know, oh, this is what a normal kid would do, but these kids have problems. Because of their home lives and stuff. Yeah, because of their home lives. Which leads to my biggest complaint of the movie. There's one thing that just really irked me. The thing that motivates them all to come back together is when Pennywise abducts Beverly. It's like, that's such, and she becomes like a damsel in distress type character 
character. It's just that, again, never happens in the book. They're all pretty much a cohesive unit throughout the book. It's just, it's such a typical movie thing I wasn't a fan of where it's like, oh, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to use you as bait to get the rest of the kids out. And I'm like, why don't you just kill her and eat her? They'll still come. If, you, if you've abducted Beverly, they're still going to come. I don't really understand why they did that either because, first of all, if Pennywise wanted to kill you at that point, yeah. he could have killed you. Like, Easily. you're not going to have to lure them in. Like, I understand why he did it, but you wonder if her getting abducted, you know, you see it in even like in like Super Mario. Mm-hmm. Like you got to go save the girl. Yeah. You know, that's like the typical thing. Her getting abducted at home, it almost felt like, because it's right after she hits her father. Mm-hmm. And it's like almost like a representation that she can't escape like a dominant male coming after her, which is, it's sad that they, which the also of her character, in, the, but... in the book comes back when they're adults too. So yeah, that's, a, that... that's just, unfortunately, that's just part of her character. Yeah. Unfortunately. And I'll try to take a stab at that. Go ahead. I think it's because Beverly represents that calm motherly figure that none of them have in the movie. Don't forget, we talked about Michael's okay. parents dying. We see Bill's for one yeah. and his father doesn't support in trying to find out what happened to his brother whereas Beverly's the only one when everyone leaves supporting him right yeah, yeah. she's the only we good have, female we character have and the overbearing mother for Eddie mm-hmm. yeah. which she is not she's the perfect calming supportive influence you have that with ben. ben you know she was the first one to extend her arm to him mm-hmm. so I think she's the galvanizing figure that kind of draws them together maybe they don't even realize they all That's do it but what possessed them all to suddenly you know go from fist fighting each other and arguing with each other in the middle of the street but mm-hmm. I think it's because she represents that bigger you know yeah, figure but it's a result of the the other moment I don't like which is them breaking up and that's the easiest like and they're like all right how are we gonna back together oh let's abduct ben and make her i mean bev and make her a damsel in distress i'm not a fan of that in a general sense i guess so it's like i understand why if you were to pick one of the seven i mean you'd probably pick bill but you'd probably pick bev second all the guys have like crushes on her it seems the damsel in distress is if you choose to look at it that way yeah i think you can get other things with it and i think the other reason it made sense for them to do it that mm-hmm. way is she's the only one who stood by bill mm-hmm. when everyone is disappearing yeah. so how do you solve any issue how do you get everything to fall in place you go after the biggest opponent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he goes who's the first person he goes to find that bill goes to find she goes to she, he, goes he goes to, to Bev's house because they're oh, going right. to meet up but when he discovers that she's gone she goes to richie he goes to richie you go right back to richie mm-hmm. if you've convinced him to go from wanting to slug you in the face mm-hmm. and eating a punch as you saw everyone yeah. else the rest right but i think if you're if i'm pennywise if i'm pennywise though i'd get bill instantly and then they probably never would get back together at that point and then you could literally right and that's what i'm saying if he had been like i'm gonna get bill first put him in the deadlights he could probably just pick off the rest of the club one by one they're not getting back together after bill's gone because you got that at the end of the movie where richie gave you the best swerve i think of the entire movie that was great when he goes into that pistol off red grabbing that you know bar he's like you punched me you dragged me down to some crackhead house and now I'm going to have to kill this fucking clown. Right. That's the greatest. Oh, I love it. The only part where Billy shoots... That's image of that's my favorite that's my scene. favorite scene. Oh my god, it's so good because it's so powerful and you see it all the time. You know where the demon tries to convince the hero or the protagonist to kind of act in a certain way or do something or you know turn come to the dark side or fall for this trickery and you see it and the whole time I'm like and when he pulls the gun out you're not Georgie yeah and I like looked and he shot him I really thought that it was actually him what and I absolutely be I him. absolutely love that scene just because of the patience in that moment yeah. you and i talked about yeah this, you know, we, when we left they the just 
they left it just a couple extra seconds of Georgie just on the ground with a hole in his head after yeah. the after that loving you know back and forth I love you I love you kind of thing and then he's like you're not Georgie shoots him with the uh, the bolt gun and then he just say, stays on the ground we focus on him for at least like it felt like a minute but it was probably closer to like maybe 15-20 seconds yeah, and then and then he turns into Pennywise you're like oh okay you tricked him because I think I used this comparison with you it felt like in wrestling a really good false finish yeah you know when it's like they're not gonna end it like this are they one two oh he kicked yeah, out match, yeah I compared it to you'll appreciate this Spooner Wrestlemania 28 Shawn Michaels super kicked into the pedigree one two he kicked out that moment that's what it felt like to me because it was just so it was so perfect and it's interesting that that's really the first time that Billy kind of acknowledges that Georgie's gone. Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't really say throughout the movie, like, oh, Georgie might be dead. He says, we gotta find Georgie. Mm -hmm. We gotta find Georgie. And literally, when he's faced with the literal image of Georgie in front of him... And it's clearly not... It it doesn't look like any of the Georgie tricks we had seen. No, it's like... Not the yellow coat. He has a a sweater on him without one of his arms. Yeah, it's like genuine, like, you think this is him. Like, that could be him, yeah. And he just looks at him and he's like, but it's not you. And the giveaway was the fact that he didn't call the S that's Georgia yeah that's what I love that's that one yeah, moment that's, like that, I couldn't keep up with it yeah, and she's like and you can see in Bill's face just goes she Georgie you call boat and she and that's what I enjoyed most about <sighs> that because that's one of the last things you hear them talk about mm. you know and that's I know you can you just talk yeah, about this you can stuff. see it over his face where he just goes you call boat and she that's what I, and that's yeah. what I think added to I know we've used this a lot in this but that's the realism that's the genuineness to it mm. it's yeah. the littlest things I know you're a Goosebumps fan yeah get those so Goosebumps Every time. So you're so you'll understand where I'm going with this. That scene in Goosebumps where there's the evil plant that becomes the clone of the father. Yeah. Stay out of the basement. And it calls her like princess or something she hates, and that's the dead giveaway. Yeah. It's those little things that the fine details that make it such a It's funny that you guys bring that up because I didn't catch that. Yeah, that's what for me I was like, Oh yes, great callback. Like I I noticed it but I never really thought like, Oh, that gives it away Mm -hmm. that Georgie that's that's not, not Georgie. Georgie. Yeah. With this movie, I mean, I, I mm-hmm. love kids. Like, I, you know, I'm really close to them. It was really, really spooky and eerie to, like, watch that. I always like a good scare and a good, like, creepy feeling from, like, just a well-put-together movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I've always been a fan of, like, The Sixth Sense or, like, The Butterfly Effect of the others. That's mm-hmm. a decent movie. But ones that, like, actually just give you, like, almost like a suspenseful, like, eerie, creepy feeling. Hannibal for me. Yeah, yeah Hannibal's the, like that too. I feel like the biggest thing with horror movies is you can have a story that is as interesting as possible but if the characters aren't any good and we can't relate to them then who cares and if you have really great characters we'll follow them anywhere there's a movie called the final girls which i really love it's a love letter slash horror comedy of the jason movies and those kind of 80s slashers and it's really good but the reason why it's really good isn't the hilarious send-ups it's because there's such a deep emotional story between the main character and another character in the movie and that's what really drives you that's what gets you invested it's like Stephen King actually like a month ago or something he tweeted I found in my experience that the best stories are between friendships that are tested and I think that's honestly as true as it gets it's just those scenes where it's like I always love emotional B stories where it's not so much about oh well these two characters get together it's more about 
uh, brother-sister relationships, it's mother-daughter relationships, it's friend relationships, you know, father-son relationships. Those kind of emotional B stories are so relatable and they're so personal that you can really latch on to a character well, going through that. Well, and it's interesting you bring that up because going through common life, hmm. like, I'm, I'm sure you guys can agree with this, but the more problems that you go through, the ones that are realistic, are with family, hmm. friends, your, your brother or sister, your cousins. Mm -hmm. It goes through things like that. You know, that's what I always kind of said as a downfall with movies. You don't always get the girl. Yeah. You know, you don't always, it's not the white horse and the shining armor. You know, it's not, it's nothing like that. So yeah. to test the relationship with that, not saying anything negative, but we're in a scary movie and it's me and a girl left. Girl's gonna die. Girl's gonna die. <laughs> I mean, I'm saving myself. But if I was in a movie with my sister, I'd, I'd probably, you know, I'd jump in front of a bullet. Absolutely. He's single, ladies. Hey, I'm a ladies man. I'm a Casanova. <laughs> I'm a dancing clown, too, if you want me to be. No. Honestly, I just think that having that sort of situation, it's just more realistic. And like with movies and books, you want to be able to relate to it. I think that does add a little yeah. bit of an extra scare and an actual fear. The characters are what carry this movie, and that's always the best thing. I was very nervous going into this because I was, you know, counting down the days until the Rotten Tomato score was going up on this because Rotten Tomatoes isn't always correct, but yeah. it can be a good judge of what to look for in horror movies. The consensus was like, oh, really gripping characters. I was like, bam, this is going to be a winner. Because if you can latch onto those characters, it doesn't matter where we're going. Just take me somewhere, and I'm gonna, and we're going to enjoy it. Well, come on, but you can relate. I mean, the characters won't make this podcast. Exactly. Absolutely. And it's funny that you, you say that, too, because the last podcast I was on with you, the problem with the movie was character yeah, development. It, it just it, didn't happen. It didn't happen. It was just kind of, you got one character who had some development, and you connected with her and the rest who cares this yeah. movie you had seven characters you could be like well stan less so but stan also had some relatable things i think i think stan was probably the most plain for me in the movie mike was most good familiar, yeah. eddie was hilarious richie was just the best ben bill and beverly so many b names they were all great you could connect with so many different people it's almost like there's a thing called the four humors the four personality types and there and a lot of groups of four one represents each one so everyone has someone to latch on to yeah. teenage mutant ninja turtles is an example. Fantastic Four is another. Seinfeld is another. And I feel like with this movie, you have seven distinct characters. There's someone everyone can sort of latch on to and be like, oh, I, I was like that person when I was younger. I connect to them. I was definitely that. <laughs> I was definitely that. Yeah, in conclusion, this might have been a bit more disjointed than some of our other episodes because we just have, like, I just have a head full of thoughts with this movie right now. Yeah. I think with both of us, like, all three of us probably are like that. But overall, I thought the kids were great. The scare scenes with the house on Nebol Street in particular the you'll float too i know we were talking about that the entire car ride home. I still you'll float it. too you'll float too the, all those scenes i thought you'll float too <laughs> uh, all of those were fantastic i love this movie i i'm not gonna rank it amongst stephen king movies yet i want to wait till part two because it's not the full book yet it's not the full adaptation yet it's so, like half of a story right now yeah, but yeah. i thought the first half we're off to a really great start hopefully chapter two doesn't take too long and is comparable to this movie as far as quality goes you don't judge a team at halftime you gotta wait for all four exactly quarters. all four quarters you were in charge of right. and if you guys will permit me to be this lame i'm going to end with a quote from the book because Absolutely. i loved this quote <clears throat> Drive away and try to keep smiling. Get a little rock and roll on the radio and go towards all the life there is with all the courage you can find and all the belief you can muster. Be true. Be brave. Stand. All the rest is darkness. That's from Stephen King's It. Read the book, people. It's great. And the movie is also great, too. See it while you can on theaters. Overall, yes, good movie. Good times. Awesome time. Good great, times. Great movie. 
honestly. Great all the way around. Yeah. All right, guys. So we will see you guys next time. Same Losers Club for our bonus episode. It's going to be our favorite Stephen King adaptation. Find out what we pick next time. Hey guys, this is Chris. I just wanted to add this little extra bit on the end because I completely forgot when we recorded this episode that it was the day before Stephen King's birthday. So I wanted to take some time out. Uh, Stephen King along with R.L. Stein are they're probably the two biggest influences on me and helped me not only in terms of me being a writer or being a storyteller, they just helped me out in life and they're both just a huge inspiration for me. I wanted to take a little time out of this episode. Happy belated birthday and many more, Stephen King. I hope Hope that you get to experience even a fraction of the joy that you have shared with many, many people, including myself, because you deserve it. So next time, we'll have an episode. The same people, we're going to be talking about our favorite Stephen King adaptations. So if you guys would like, it would mean a lot if you could subscribe to the podcast, get, leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. Ratings interviews help push the podcast further up so more people can listen to the show. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Professional Horror and on Twitter at Pro Horrorcast. And if you have any questions or comments or have a suggestion for another episode, you can email me at professionalhorror at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Stay scary, but keep it professional.